you have to be very humble if you want to be an entrepreneur or be part of a business. Know what you know, what we know what you don't know. And then surround yourself with people that really support your strengths and your weaknesses. Welcome to View from the Top, the podcast. That was Jessica Alba, founder and chief creative officer of The Honest Company. Jessica joined Stanford Graduate School of Business as part of View from the Top, a speaker series where students, like me, sit down to interview business leaders from around the world. I'm Alexandra Idle, an MBA student of the class of 2022. This year, I had the pleasure of interviewing Jessica Alba, Jessica recounted her entrepreneurial journey from starting The Honest Company based on needs she identified in her own life and then bringing the company to IPO just last year. She also discussed the importance of knowing your customer, her thoughts on Gen Z, and trusting your gut. You're listening to View from the Top, the podcast. On behalf of the Stanford Graduate School of Business, I'd like to welcome you to View from the Top. We are so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. We have so much to learn from you here at the GSB about your business savvy and your tenacity in building a truly fantastic company. So I'd like to start today with the origin of Honest. So much of the company is built upon your personal experience as a child with health challenges and as a mom who struggled to find products that were affordable and eco-friendly for your own children. So can you tell us about how these pain points led you to developing a business solution? Yeah, gladly. You know, I think it really was for me filling a need and finding a, a real opportunity to show up um, for not just for myself, but for many people in a way that I think I, I, I was seeing that um, companies that make products that really interact with you every single day and could have an effect on your health and well-being over time, um, they just weren't really considering, I think, holistically your health and wellness as the the top priority and for me i just felt like our health and wellness like when you go through your life and you are thinking of quality of life and thriving and when your health is compromised and your health and wellness is compromised in any way shape or form <clears throat> it's really difficult to then live a life where you can thrive and be happy <clears throat> and live life to the fullest so when I was a child and I was very sick and I, you know, was constantly reminded um, that I wasn't like others and I was isolated. I had severe asthma um, and allergies. And every time I had uh, an allergy to something, it actually triggered my asthma. And I was uh, put in the hospital on steroids. Um, I was in the hospital, I would say at least three or four times a year for a week to two weeks um, doing steroid treatments and breathing treatments and dealing with pneumonia and bronchitis and 
every cold turned into pneumonia. So it was just like a whole situation, <clears throat> but I wanted to like play baseball and soccer and be a normal kid. And so I would go on the soccer field with a breathing machine and I would have that next to me. Um, I also had like kidney issues and um, cysts on, and um, many different other surgeries on top of that. And all of this, like before I was 11, <laughs> So I just dealt with a lot of health issues. And when I was pregnant with my first daughter uh, about 13 years ago, I had an allergic reaction and I had pretty much like stayed away from the things that, it, that were causing reactions. And I started to really create sort of like this subconsciously, this safe environment where I didn't, I wasn't exposed to a lot of the things that would trigger um, my allergies or asthma. And then when I was um, pregnant with honor, I had an allergic reaction to a detergent that was marketed to parents to use on their baby's clothing. And my mom said she used it on me and I didn't know very many moms. And when I had this allergic reaction, I, I got like a flood of the memories of me as a kid and having all of these health issues. And I was like, oh my God, what if my baby is like me what if she has these these sort of issues and and it really kind of shaped who i am and i think it builds character to go through difficulties but if it could be avoided like i like let's avoid them you know my mother got cancer when she was um i believe she was like 23 22 or 23 and had to have a full hysterectomy and meaning she couldn't have children anymore. And her cancer was environmentally caused because there was nothing genetically that was linked to that. So when I sort of looked, I, I like took sort of a reflection on like my childhood, my mom's health and wellness. Now I'm bringing this little person into the world and thinking about quality of life in a different way. I was told I wasn't allowed to eat like deli meats and I couldn't, you know, uh, use my um, retinol on my face uh, because it could possibly affect the baby and, and her health and wellness. So I started looking at ingredients and thinking about my health differently and hers, obviously. And I learned about lots of untested and potentially harmful chemicals that we use and are exposed to on the daily. And a lot of it is in beauty products, hair, skin products makeup products, um, fragrances, home detergents. And so then I was like, oh my goodness, every single day we're being exposed to all of these potentially harmful chemicals and we don't even know it. And we don't even know how it's affecting our health. So then I was looking at, I, I looked at data and was trying to understand the research around the rise of illness. And there was a pretty like, parallel path in the industrialization of these chemicals and then being put into um, consumer products and beauty products. And, and that rise um, really paralleled the rise of many illnesses that people um, are dealing with from, because you know, they're hormone disruptors and they're endocrine disruptors. <clears throat> and they're linked to things like various cancers, learning disabilities, um, uh, and also like the, uh, the way that it affects your hormones. 
Um, it's basically like uh, giving your um, your body steroids um, and it really screws up your hormones, men and women, um, the exposure to a lot of these chemicals. So I was like, how do we not know about this? And how is this even allowed in this country with all of the, you know, shouldn't there be a governing sort of practice or rules or standards? And in the UK, they actually make companies test chemicals for safety before they're even allowed to be brought into um, the marketplace in personal care and beauty. And in this country, the way that the system is set up is it has to be proven to kill enough people before they'll even look into it being dangerous. And so I was like, what? So basically like we're just being tested on. Um, And I was like, that is so messed up. And then people who live in um, uh, sort of like different circumstances where they don't, um, they can't necessarily control their environment and their shopping um, habits uh, because they, you know, they're just trying to survive and they're living paycheck to paycheck, like like I grew up, and a lot of black and brown families as well are um, disproportionately affected by the exposure to a lot of these chemicals, and so I was just like, whoa, and so I. Um, legislated for chemical reform to try and at least get our standards in this country to be more like Europe. Um, and uh, and lo- sorry, not legislated. I lobbied for the legislation for chemical reform, excuse me. And I did it twice. Um, and basically, as you know, during COVID, um, our health has been politicized. And it, it's basically whatever opinion someone wants to decide is truth becomes the truth versus facts. And so um, I was like, wow, we sh- this shouldn't be about a political party. This is just common sense and human health. Anyway, um, frustrated with the system, um, I was like, well, um, how can I create a solution for people that really has like the ethics and values around human health, um, safety, um, also thinking about the planet (laughs) and sustainability. And then, um, obviously I think the, the last and most important piece of the puzzle is, um, really showing up for people and meeting their needs, no matter where they live in the country. It shouldn't be like, oh, I, I, you know, can only, if I afford the most expensive things. And so I can shop at like a whole foods or whatever type of grocery store, but everyone else is sort of left out. And I was like, that just isn't fair. And also I felt like there weren't a lot of companies that stood for health and wellness um, that also like spoke my language. I don't know. I just feel like I love beauty in, in design and um, I love beautiful things in the home. And I just felt like there was a way to kind of like show up in a beautiful way, but still have the ethos and the values and the ethics um, that I have as a person. So that's really where the the business came from and the idea. And that's how it started. Well, I love the intergenerational aspect of it, of watching your mom go through something, experiencing something yourself, and then trying to create a solution for your children. That's obviously a really wonderful brand story, but obviously not everyone was sold in the beginning. So I'm curious, 
how did your business pitch evolve as you experienced some initial naysayers or some no's? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to know your audience, know their capacity. And originally I was pitching this note, this idea to start this business with people in entertainment, not knowing that the very business model in entertainment is incoming calls and licensing deals, right? Um, and it, it isn't starting from the ground up and investing in a concept. Now I think Hollywood has gotten a little bit more savvy and I, and I would say, you know, the success of my company has moved the business, uh, to be a little bit more open to different ways of operating. Um, I also think that because, uh, the shift in access to content, um, and the internet and habits um, changing and, and consuming um, has changed so dramatically over the last, I mean, 20 years, but really 10 years. So the business Hollywood has had to also try and figure out where they fit in that. Um, and I think it, they're still challenged because um, they're holding on to a lot of the old sort of systems. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I guess I, I was pitching this idea to the wrong audience, that's first and foremost. And then I started pitching it around to different people outside of my scope. And I would say, you know, while um, as an entrepreneur, you're so excited and you, you see your end goal, right? And you know you're moving towards that end goal, but you have to make it palatable for what can happen here and now and today. So it's like, well, you wanna sell the dream of, this is gonna be a global brand that stands for, you know, the health and well-being of people in the planet. And we're gonna make, um, not only build community and educate people on how they can live a better life, but we're also gonna create the solution for them. And it's gonna be in various categories. Um, around home detergents, around bath and body products, around baby products, and around skin uh, and beauty products. For me, I had to distill my idea down to the thing that was trendy and hot in the moment um, where investors were excited to invest into these new business models. Um, and I knew that I didn't want to take this concept to a retailer because I didn't want the retailer to then, because when you take your concept and your idea and you build inside of a retailer's environment, um, you, they, they essentially get to take the reins and mold it into what fits into their business model. And you often will compromise on your values, especially when you or right out the gate. I also knew I wanted there to be a charity com component, you know, um, and I thought that was just really important. And I also really wanted there to be diversity and inclusion um, just embedded in the, in the values and the practices of who we are. So all of those things, I would say, are just very new concepts um, in applying, and especially back in 10 years ago, um, people hadn't really seen successful biz businesses that have values, um, like that. I mean, there's like, there, there are very few and far between, 
um, that hit on all of those things. And so I had to figure out, you know, like know your audience, distill the concept down to what is, you know, hot in the moment that people are excited to invest behind and um, make it, you know, get your ele elevator pitch down because I had like a hundred page deck with like, you know, everything from like home paints and furnishings and detergents all the way through to, you know, beauty products and and then brands that sit in different price points and a distribution. Yeah, the whole <laughs> I mean, I had the whole kit and caboodle. And so I had to really distill it down to, at the time, what was hot was a predictable subscription business model. Um, and I partnered with essentially the guy that had paved the way for that business model to come to life. He he founded LegalZoom and another business called um, Shoe Dazzle. And so I partnered with him and pitched him the business and he turned me down. Um, and then he came back about 18 months later and I pitched him again. And at, at that point he had had a kid and saw his wife change her beauty habits, change what she allowed in the house, throughout all of their detergents in their home, the cleaning products, and, and basically was shopping from, you know, a very small and curated um, set to provide a healthy environment for their, their little child. And so he was like, oh my goodness. Okay. So people do change when they have kids and they start thinking differently about ingredients, chemical exposures, the planet and, and those types of values. Um, I would say now, so when I partnered with him, then we basically went and um, pitched, you know, Sand Hill on Sand Hill, like five uh, or six companies and uh, VCs. And we got five term sheets by the end of the day. And I was eight and a half months pregnant. And I was told by my doctor, I wasn't allowed to fly anymore. <laughs> and that was my second child. I was pregnant because it took me actually three years to get to that point. And yeah, I think, I think it's like, it's, you have to be very humble. If you want to be an entrepreneur or be part of a business, know what you know, what we know, what you don't know. And then, um, you know, surround yourself with people that really, um, support your strengths and your weaknesses. Yeah. I love that point about knowing your audience and how his, his life circumstances changed how he acted as an audience member to receiving your pitch. And just that little moment of his wife experiencing exactly what you're talking about was all they really needed to, to see as a benefit for the company. Uh, so at business school in all of our classes, we're constantly, constantly reading case studies uh, to learn about pivotal moments in a company's history. Uh, so we talked a little bit about the pitch. We can fast forward to Honest Co. is now an amazing company. Uh, what do you think would be the inflection point that you would choose if the GSB were to do a case study? It's interesting. Um, I would say going from uh, and operating from a like startup um, and you know, that that's like a, a high growth startup with that sort of um, high growth business model um, and really transitioning into 
um, a more steady state um, growth business model <clears throat> and uh, building the foundational principles to operate like a, um, a business that could be around for a hundred years because the people that you bring in and that can get capital um, to start a company are very different people that usually, I would say 99% of the time is usually a very different team than that can operate um, and build out foundational principles for a company that could stick around for a hundred plus years. Mm, I love that. And speaking of teams, actually, an instrumental part of your team is your current CEO. I'm curious, how did you find him? How did you, how did he convince you that he was the right person, uh, that he was really going to be able to carry your vision forward as CEO? Nick uh, worked at Clorox and actually, um, you know, when we were starting the business and when we had such high growth and being a digital first business and building community was such a different approach and the values and the ethics around health and wellness again was also such a different um in in the way that we went about it was such a different approach to the way a lot of the big cpg companies operate and so we've had all of the big companies knock on our door and you have to take those meetings and so he had um uh spent time with us and looked at us um you know years before um and really sort of like um understood our business model and then when we were at a time to bring in a new team to really like build those foundational principles um i think because he we had he had historic data and um understood the mental model of like what needed to be true and, and also he had done it with Burt's Bees when they brought Burt's Bees into Clorox and um you know he really has a very like creative approach to um business and I think you know you can't have someone who's so um stuck into what they know, but you need to have someone who's really genuinely open and curious to building out what the business needs at that moment. And he really felt like he um, was grounded in, um, in, in having conviction about that. But then also I would say the other big piece of it is he really lived this life. These values um, are very meaningful to him and his family. He's a father of four, two sets of twins and, um, his wife and him and the kids, they live very much, um, these values. And these are the types of products they have in their home. And this is, um, you know, how they live their life. So just those, the purpose and the mission of the company, um, really resonated with him. So, mm. I love that. Well, an amazing moment uh, that you had last year was when you took the company public. So congratulations on that. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, did the IPO feel like a moment to pause and appreciate all of your accomplishments or was it a wake up call that new challenges and opportunities were ahead of you? You know, for me, it was like both. Um, I would say that every time we hit 
a different sort of transition or milestone. Um, I, at this point, I feel like I've been through it all, <laughs> it all. Um, and you'll see guys, when you start your own businesses, <laughs> what I'm about. Um, and yeah, it almost felt like we're starting from zero again and building the foundation of what it means to be and operate like a public company. And now like we're building those um, building blocks and those foundational principles again, but in this new space. Hmm. I love that. So I would be remiss if I didn't mention your, your previous role uh, and current still role in Hollywood and where, where I learned at least at your talent agency, CAA branding, your personal brand is everything. And I'm curious what learnings carried over from that world to the business world. Um, I'm now at UTA, um, but uh, yeah, I would say that your personal brand as someone in Hollywood, but then even someone like you or any of you guys sitting there, um, you can't, you guys are living in a very kind of, um, it's sort of like welcome to the party of being exposed. Um, you guys are living a very um, digital reality, and um, and people can um, unearth who you are and your past and your life. If anything, is much more um, on display, I would say, than any other generation, and will continue to be on display. And so, where you go in your life and how who you surround yourself with um and how you align yourself um along the way will have an impact on your future opportunities and so i think for me i was always very cognizant of that from a very early age um and i think it's just something to be mindful of you know depending on what your aspirations are um, making sure that you own all of your decisions and, um, and you are honest with yourself, um, along the way. And I'm not saying don't make, don't be fearful, but just be aware. And I think a lot of people don't always think of, um, step three, four, and five. Um, they just see the shiny penny in front of them and they get excited. Um, but I always think of three, four and five, cause I didn't have a backup plan. <laughs> I didn't grow up with a safety net. I had to create my own. So I, I just, I think I just operated with that in mind when I was building out, um, any, or making any decision from age 12 on. Right. Yeah. And important to note that it started so young and uh, social media and everything has changed so much and you've been you've been adapting since you were 12 which was is amazing uh, i'd love to talk about the future of where honest is going you recently launched the daily defense collection <laughs> which is a line of skincare products designed to defend against environmental pollutants which is so incredibly important i'm curious how do you Especially those screens who knew these screens could affect your skin, my uh, God. <laughs> the screens that are currently blasting stuff at us right now. All day. Uh, <laughs> All day. Uh, I'm curious how you predict future trends and continue to build products for the future. 
You know, a lot of it comes from, I think, trusting my gut and my intuition. It's weird. Like, I don't necessarily need McKinsey data to substantiate, you know, where I like what I feel or what I know. And oftentimes, I feel like I can be, and not everything is a home run, but if you need a Bain or McKinsey study to validate um, your marketplace opportunity, it's often a little too late um, because, you know, the trendsetters did it three years before it became a trend that it w- would even become a case study or a study at all. Um And so I would say that keeping your feet on the ground and really understanding the pain point or the needs that you are filling in whatever business you are creating. For me, it's being very consumer centric um, and and very personal. You know, I always start from that place and then I do my research from there. around, you know, sort of like what other companies are doing things like this or what other, um, like our sensitive skincare line, all of us want benefits in our skincare. We want, you know, brightening and we want, you know, um, our fine lines to go away and we want, you know, our discoloration to go away. You know, we want to have those, those, um, skincare benefits in our skincare. We just don't, we're not looking for something that's just sort of like put this on your face and it'll be a shield and nothing. And then, and then there you go. And it's better than having like this rash. Now I'm allergic to a lot of those products, even the gentle ones that the dermatologists (laughs) recommend. So I couldn't even use those. So I was like, how about we have a skincare routine that works for people with really sensitive skin, but actually like does something for you. And my, our, our head chemist, she has very sensitive skin as well. And, uh, and so that's, you know, just something where we were like, Hey, if you get rashes, if you have sensitive skin, a lot of people who break out a lot also have very sensitive skin. Um, there's nothing for you. And, um, and you're sort of just left in the dust. So I was like, this would be a cool one to be able to create a full solution where you can have exfoliation, brightening, um, really hydrating. We have a lightweight moisturizer and a heavier moisturizer. So it's for different types of skin. It doesn't clog your pores, you know, all of those things. So that's another, a lot of it comes from the personal and then you know, you look at the marketplace and you see how many people are doing it. And then there's other things where you're just like, Hey, this is table stakes. You need to have X or you need to have Y in order to really like be in this category. So it's a, it's a blend. Yeah. I love how your ideation process for new products kind of always goes back to how you started honest itself, which was based Mm -hmm. on problems that you experience yourself. And obviously you're not the only one to experience those. Right. So we started this talk with a TikTok. (laughs) You are a parent to Gen Z kids uh, and a marketer. 
And I'm curious because we are always talking about Gen Z and I feel like articles are always Gen Z this, Gen Z that. Uh, as, a, as a parent and as a marketer, what is something you think we're getting wrong about that generation? I think we try to overcomplicate it. Mm. And the gap of understanding feels so wide. And I think there's sort of like a frustration in the way that like they're moving at a pace and are going to continue to move at a pace that is beyond any other generation just because in the digital age, you know, before you had to reimagine your business sort of like every five years. And then I would say about 10 years ago when I launched Honest, it was like, oh no, you've got to reimagine your business and how you operate and the way that you do it like every three years. Now I would say it's like every year you got to reassess and reevaluate and reimagine. Um, I think that because they're so young, maybe it's hard to trust that they know what they're talking about and allow them to take some leadership and hand the baton over, like know what you don't know. And also like, if something is meant to appeal to them, it doesn't necessarily need to appeal to me or to you, right? Um, and sometimes it'll appeal to me and it'll appeal to you, but I think, you know, um, that is one thing that like, I feel like when you're running a business or when you're trying to understand a demographic, you feel like you should also be on the same page as them, but it's totally okay that they think the way that they think and they respond to things differently than you. And you don't need to take it personally and know that it's okay for you to have your differences. What I appreciate about Gen Z, um, and I actually don't think of it as being an issue, is just that they love authenticity they are values driven um, and the brand values are meaningful to them. And the more that you really um, show up authentically, the better I think the businesses that are in trouble in appealing to Gen Z are the ones that are trying to be tricky. Mm. Well, a clear theme of today for sure is knowing your audience and uh, you clearly know this audience as well. Uh, so much about Honest Co. is educating the consumer. You've been doing that since before you even started the company. And as many of us here are looking to start new businesses, some of them might be quite complicated, deep tech, Web3, what have you. What lessons can you share about what works best in educating your consumer? Make it entertaining. If it's boring for you to watch, it's going to be boring for anybody to watch. Like, you know what I mean? If it's boring to read it, it's going to be boring for everyone. Um, I think more and more because we have so much, it's almost like the volume of content. It is so um, daunting and overwhelming and is only going to get more daunting as we start to integrate um, AR into our day-to-day -day, and as we integrate more of like the web three into our day-to-day -day with wearables and all of that, um, 
we're going to almost have information overload. And so having really short and sweet, pithy um, ways of communicating, no matter if you're a software company or not, um, even a B2B, um, I would say when we're, you know, choosing partners for you know, B2B type of partners or something that will help a, a function for, um, you know, in our company and in some form or fashion. We're always looking at how difficult is it to integrate? And usually the difficulty has to do with how boring it is to, <laughs> to understand it and to apply it. You know, you in making your materials as consumer facing as possible is important even for software companies or b2b's so mm. that's great advice thank you we've shared incredible advice with all of us and we're all super grateful for your time and you're also an incredible model for so many founders from underrepresented groups and for women so thank you for being here today I could go on forever, but we do have some questions from the audience. So I would like to turn it over to our first question from JY. Hi, Jessica. Um, I'm originally from Singapore and moved to the Bay to attend a GSV. Um, I'm an aspiring entrepreneur, so super excited to be here. And my question for you is, um, what were some of your biggest fears in building the Honest Co? And how do you overcome them? Maybe my biggest fear was not connecting with my truth in a way and allowing people who had trust and a history in business um, sort of take over the narrative or run the business in a direction that I intuitively knew wasn't right. And um, I felt imposter syndrome because I didn't have a traditional business degree and background. Um, and so it took me a hot minute to really like step into my skin as a person. Um, and I think the more I've trusted my intuition and my gut and stood in my truth, the better I feel in everything, right? In business and, and in life. But I would say that was my, my biggest fear. It's scary when you've never done it before, right? Absolutely. Thanks for sharing. Hi, Jessica. Uh, my name is Kristen Lim, and I am also an aspiring entrepreneur um, looking to do something within the beauty space. Um, I'm also a power user of Honest Products, and I can't live without my magic bomb. <laughs> um, and I'm so impressed with Honest's growth. In just the first year, um, you've achieved $12 million in revenue, and this grew to a staggering $150 million in revenue just two years later. Um, and at the GSB, we use the Lean Startup methodology for product ideation. And I know from the talk, um, that you talked about honest product ideation uh, starting from your own pain points. But I'm curious as honest continue to scale how the product ideation process evolved. Yeah, I mean, I would say that it, it started from a very pure place. And then <laughs> I allowed 
I sort of gave away my power and my truth for a little while. And I allowed for it to be a bit of a mosh pit of everyone wanting to chime in and not having clear roles and responsibilities and boundaries defined. And, um, you know, I think I'm still a work in progress when it comes to that. But um, the biggest thing is really like, again, trusting your instincts, knowing what needs to be true in order for you to have a, a real authentic positioning in the marketplace. For me, I knew my gut was telling me from day one, we needed to have an in-house lab and an in-house team and a regulatory team and also a sourcing team because that was the only way we were going to have true differentiation um, in our formulas that can meet the standards of conventional um, or exceed them. And if I was just going to operate like other companies, it just there was no way to get there. It was just going to be too many hurdles. And so I went through all the hurdles, right? Um, but that is the biggest thing is just know what needs to be true for you in order for you to have a real authentic position and also for you a reason for you to even exist it's a crowded marketplace so why are you here and what are you doing that's materially different thank you so much you've been listening to view from the top the podcast production of Stanford Graduate School of Business. This interview was conducted by me, Alexandra Idle of the MBA class of 2022. Lily Sloan composed our theme music. Michael Riley and Jenny Luna produced this episode. You can find more episodes of this podcast at our website, www.gsb.stanford.edu. Follow us on social media at Stanford GSB.